Welcome to CBuzz, the Columbus Chamber of Commerce's award-winning podcast and also Columbus's first business-focused podcast. Our show was presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. I'm Michaela Hunt, brand journalist and your host for CBuzz, where we bring you unique and impactful stories directly from leaders right here in our Central Ohio business community. Now, normally we will be coming to you from our home at Capital University's Convergent Media Center collaborative space for students and faculty to study music, film, creative writing, and digital media. However, things are a little different as we continue to prioritize all COVID-19 health and safety guidelines. As such, we are coming to you virtually. We are recording this through Zoom and we are excited to tell incredible stories through this platform in 2021. We appreciate your patience and understanding as we maneuver these virtual sessions. One thing is for sure, you're bound to hear a great conversation. So today we're sitting down with Jonathan Moody, CEO of the award-winning architectural and design firm Moody Nolan, the largest minority-owned firm in the country. Moody Nolan works in a number of industries ranging from healthcare to housing and recreation. And our local listeners are likely familiar with Central Ohio projects, including Huntington Park, the Cavelli Multi-Sport Arena at Ohio State, and the Martin Luther King Branch for the Columbus Metropolitan Library. While headquartered here in Columbus, the firm has offices in cities across the United States, including Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, Houston, and New York City, just to name a few. Jonathan, we're so excited to have you on CBuzz. Welcome. Oh, thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. And I said, this is a chance for you and I to get to know each other a little. You were a member of the 40 Under 40 class back in 2017, and so was I. And I don't think we had this much of a chance to chat at that point. So I'm excited for today. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be able to talk more and, yeah, hear hear more stories and, and converse a bit. So, yeah. Well, I think you definitely have some wisdom to impart to our CBuzz <laughs> listeners. So we're kind of buckling in for a good ride and some good stories. Um 2020 was quite a year for you and for the company. I mean, it was quite a year for so many people. But when I was looking at some of the research we were doing, you were named CEO in January of mm-hmm. 2020. <laughs> um, so let me let me start here. If you had to summarize what you've seen this past year, given you being named to that position and what we've seen then, how would you summarize that in a sentence? <laughs> Life happens fast. <laughs> um. Maybe that's the best way I could do it. Yep. One sentence. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Life does happen fast and things happen that we don't expect. And we're living in that moment where it moves quickly and the unexpected can happen. Um, we're going to dig a little more into that in this conversation because I definitely have some questions about that. But I want to talk a little bit at first about Moody Nolan. Can you give our listeners kind of a better rundown of what you specialize in? So, so the irony is what we specialize in is being broad. Um, and at first that was kind of a, a bit of an out there concept because um, most architects that you meet tend to specialize in one, two, maybe three areas of expertise. But, um, you know, really my father coined the phrase of diverse by design. Um, and that means so many different things, um, it, you know, and we've made so many efforts over the years for our staff to really reflect the communities we serve. Um, and the needs are so broad um, that, you know, what came at first as kind of we need to adapt to the communities became kind of a, well, sometimes communities need 
healthcare or wellness facility. Sometimes they need a school or sometimes they need a library or sometimes they need housing or sometimes they need um, a hotel or a retail center. Um, and, you know, we kind of intentionally said, well, yeah, we can do a little bit of that. And yeah, we can do a little bit of that. Um, and it became complimentary over the years um, where, you know, we're now at a point where um, buildings have gotten so complex um, and the types of needs have gotten so complex that being able to kind of switch gears um, and offer different things um, has become a real asset and a real strength. Um, and also the, the communities have, have gotten so broad. Um, so, for, for example, like we, we worked on a, a, a school project in um, in uh, Inglewood, uh, Inglewood STEM Academy in Chicago. Um, and, you know, what would normally be you'd have. Um, a rec component, or you'd have a, a history component, or you have a K-12 component, or, you know, community or healthcare component um, became an all-in-one. So, you know, the needs of that community are such that they need, you know, a school. They needed three different schools coming from different neighborhoods combined into one school. There's a huge rec component that they wanted to make publicly accessible to the community. So that, you know, basically people, when the school's not using athletic facilities, that the community could use it. But also there's a need for public health. And, you know, if you're, while you're at it and building the building and the neighborhood that serves, you know, the question was asked, could there be a way that you could incorporate a health clinic or a public clinic, you know, protected from the, the students because safety is such a high priority in education environments. And so all of the different strengths that we've developed over the years, you know, that's kind of what projects happen. That's how they happen. And that's how they, they really need to happen. Um, and even when you look at, you know, we could, I could dig deeper into, you know, what K-12 environments need, but, you know, at a high school level, you know, you're, you're, it's the beginning conversation of, of job training. So lab facilities, STEM facilities, and even corporate office training environments, those ideas begin to get incorporated um, into a K-12 building. So that diverse by design, it's kind of a, what do you need? Because we're here to help. <laughs> I love it. So with that, you've received a number of, great number really, of awards and accolades over all of these years. More recently, the firm became the first Ohio firm and first African-American owned firm to receive the American Institute of Architects National Firm Award. It's a big deal. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> what yeah. does it mean to you and your team to be nationally recognized for the work that you're doing? Whew. Yeah, well, the, the thing that we're still taking in, because I mean, that's still like a, the metaphor I've used is it's like, you know, you know, you, you, we all see those dogs that chase after cars, but, you know, you don't actually catch the car, right? And we feel a little bit like that dog that like, oh my gosh, we caught the, we caught the car. What do we do now? Um, but I, there's so much reflection, so much kind of coming to terms with, um, you know, what it means for our history and legacy as a firm. So for my father, when he started the firm 39 years ago, um, you know, so many things are kind of, you could, we could never have imagined, right? We could have never imagined, you know, the continued success and the, the fortune and blessings that we've been been fortunate to receive over the years. Um, what, what it means nationally um, is that, you know, there's, we talked about um, last year being a breakthrough year for us um, and for for us to really, you know, there, there's so much conversation last year around change, um, change in so many different ways. And, and specifically for us, for change in the profession, um, it was kind of an acknowledgement that the culture that we've created and some of the goals and things that we've tried to achieve um, 
are now becoming the, you know, as Jane Frederick said, because um, she's the president of AI and she's the one that um, gave, that, that I answered the call, which I'm still like, I don't even know what I said to her other than just thank you and a whole bunch of emotional outbursts, but that our firm represents what the industry should be. Um, and so the exciting moment, because um, I told our staff and I told everybody that this was not like so many other awards that are individual awards or kind of singular recognition or like a project recognition. Um, this is an us award. And I do think us is not even just us as a firm, um, that it's national recognition for the importance of, you know, the, the work that we do in the community. Um, and again, that idea of reflecting the communities we serve to say that those communities are valued at the same level as, you know, any project or any community um, in for the profession. Um, and, you know, if anything, you know, I think one of the things that last year did teach us is some of the people who, who need architecture the most have been without it. Um, and there should be more of a focus on people who, you know, you don't typically think of as kind of the, you know, the highest design or the most, you know, you know, the most out of this world buildings, but, but everybody has a need for great design. Um, and so to see that recognized in our work was, you know, I, I can't put it into words. Um, I want to go there and then I want to come back to your dad after that. But since you mm -hmm. went there about the need for everyone to have access to great design, you recently gave a TED talk about the importance of design being an act of hope. I love that. And in that in that talk, you you really shared how designers have been complicit in allowing systemic challenges to be introduced into communities and as such have failed those same communities. So you raise a really important question here in this moment that we're talking about and this the conversations we've been having over the last year. Can you elaborate a little bit for our listeners on the importance of design being an act of hope? Well, as you can imagine, and I've even been told by some since then, you know, most times when you give a TED talk, there could even be a part two. Um, so because there's things you don't get to say um, that because you just are limited in terms of what you can do. But the the two parts, the 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 act of hope, um, I'll get to in a second, but the kind of um, the first part about kind of what it means um, and, and why there's such a need um, and maybe even touching on that failure. I think last year was not a year, at least from where I sit, you know, as somebody who touches real estate and buildings uh, where problems arose that we were unaware of. It was more of what last year exposed was, you know, these things, you know, about disparities around education or around access to the internet or around access to affordable housing or access to affordable health care. Those had been issues for a while and we had not done a good job or really any anything at all in terms of addressing them. And all of a sudden that came exposed is when we got in this moment where we were all you know, dependent on one another, where you say, hey, I, in order for me to be healthy, I need you to be healthy. And then we realize that like, well, you can't be healthy if you don't have access to all of these resources. That That's what it exposed and which was kind of a, you know, a kind of a kick in the gut moment of, yeah, we, we got to reflect on that and what it means and what can we do about it. Now, I, you know, I, and I remember talking to our staff and talking to so many people because there's so many questions about what can we do? And I've always just felt as an architect, um, we have a unique role because no matter what we do, like if, if you know, if you're hiring an architect, you're not talking about a building that you're going to live in tomorrow or use tomorrow. 
it's you're talking about a building that is kind of a year or two years out. And then truthfully, because you that we we tell everybody, hey, you want that building to last 25 or 50 years, you're talking about the future. <laughs> you're talking about what does that look like? So for me, it's always that exciting moment or challenge that I said to our staff, if you if if, if you pick one issue and we talk to say housing, right? And there are disparities and challenges around housing. Every day as an architect, as we're designing and envisioning and creating a future, we get to talk about not how bad is that future and what are the things that are downsides of that, you know, now, but we get to talk about what should it be, right? If we're literally creating a future that exists years and years from now, you know, we should be doing the actions today or kind of creatively thinking today to create a future that's different. So, you know, when we think about some of these challenges, for us, it's that every day in our work, in those lines we draw, in those things we build, how does that thing, how does that thing, how does that act represent a future that's better, a future that's different? And, and are we being intentional about creating a future that's better and different? And is that where hope comes in when you when you talk about it being an act of hope? If we can visualize our future and what we want to feel and see, does that give hope to communities? Absolutely, because I think, you, you know, so many, you know, at least for me personally, last year, there were a lot of questions about what is, right? And and why it is. And, and you know, and I think so many times people were hoping when they would ask, and I mean, using that word, when they ask a question of, oh, it is better now, or this is good. And my honest answer was no, or, you know, actually, it's really bad. But the thing is, but what we do have, what we all can have, I hope it could be better. And so, but if hope is not just kind of a, you know, you know, mythical or kind of ethereal, if hope is more of like, you can be intentional about it, it's where, what are the things that you're doing to act to ensure that that hope is fulfilled? And so design is a part of that. Yes. Well, that's, it's literally like, if I'm drawing something today, I should be doing something with the hope that things are better. You know, you watched your dad build this firm starting at a very young age. You briefly mentioned him earlier. What was the biggest lesson you think you learned early on in your career about leadership from watching him grow, Moody Dolan? Um, I, I don't know if th- there's so many lessons. I don't know if I could boil it down to just, you know, one or so. Um, but something that does um, stand out of he he paved the way in so many ways um, and he continuously proved, you know, things possible that were previously thought to be impossible. Or there was, I mean, it's not, maybe not so much that they were impossible. It was just, there was no tangible example that someone could point to. And, you know, you know, we, we come very much from, you know, a sports family and, you know, my dad played college basketball and I was fortunate to play college football. And we, we've kind of embedded that mindset in terms of sports that, you know, one of the things I got from him is, there's a reason you play the game, right? If you just played everything out on paper, we'd all know who's going to win the Super Bowl. Um, we'd all know who's going to win everything, but it doesn't always play out that way. And one of the things is if you don't compete, you can't win. And, but also from a competitive standpoint, it's, well, you know, if you've got the same skills, if you've got the same belief, it's like, you should be able to compete with anybody. So we've, you know, seeing him, you know, to say, hey, you know, because he was able to play basketball at Ohio State and then be able to design Ohio State's basketball arena. 
you know, and compete with people who had, you know, zero, you know, he had zero experience in designing basketball arenas, right? Like we, but, but he, he knows it says, Hey, but if I can just get a chance to compete, I feel like we can win. And so, you know, the, the opportunity to, to take a shot or, or take a chance and then kind of be the example, um, you know, it's, it's been an invaluable <laughs> journey to watch. So he's embedded that in you. Um, given that, let's talk a little bit about culture. So with with you at the helm now and all the experience and, and, and what it went into this company prior to, what does your culture look like at Moody Nolan? And, and how do you ensure that culture is serving your team members as a leader? Yeah, so it's still kind of back to that, uh, the diverse by design, but how do we carry it forward and, and, and really kind of accelerate it even further? So some of it is, you know, we've had a lot of those questions this last year. If we can't get together, what are the things that define, you know, our, what our culture is? But so I think part for us, it's, it starts with reflecting the people we serve and we serve so many people from so many different diverse perspectives. So it's, how do we amplify that? How do we have, you know, even more people from any more, from even more places that kind of say represent like so many other perspectives and really kind of add a level of intelligence or kind of thinking that we wouldn't have had before. But then also what has to go along with that is how does everybody feel that, that they're, that this is a culture that supports them. So it's kind of removing barriers. It's kind of adding protection, if you will, from, you know, to say that, hey, if this happens, you should do this. But no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, um, this is a place for you and your perspective is valued and welcomed and encouraged. Beyond what you just shared, what other advice or guidance do you have for business leaders who may be listening to this mm-hmm. podcast and looking to build a more thoughtful culture within their organization, especially during this time. We're in this unusual time. We feel a potential transition coming on in the next several months. What would you what would you say to them? What guidance would you give? Yeah, sure. So I I think one of the things I had to come to terms with very quickly last year. Um, was be honest <laughs> um, and all of what that means. Um, and I think, you know, I, oftentimes I get um, I get the opportunity to be in places where, you know, like, oh man, like, I, you know, I never thought I would be in this room. I never thought I would be, have this audience or have, or have this seat at the table. And I think the worst thing that you can do, because for so many people who have pushed so hard to have, you know, broad, diverse kind of unique creative perspectives is to try and be who you think they want you to be or to try and create something or do something, not what is what you would want to do or what you think is right, but to try and anticipate and be that. Um, because, you know, the, the best thing that we can offer is our unique perspective or our unique background and experiences. And the truth is what, what I've had to learn is that's, you know, you know, I just believe that things happen for a reason. If you're there in the room and you have the skills and knowledge that you have, it's there for a reason. So you have everything you need to be effective and be capable in that moment. It, so it's kind of just be it. And sometimes like last year when, you know, someone asked, oh, what should we do about this? Or what should we do about that? Or how could we handle that? And sometimes the honest answer is, I don't know but maybe I can find somebody who does, or maybe we can figure out a solution. But if I go and try and say, oh, 
well, I think with all my wisdom that we should do this. It's kind of like, well, if you don't know, you don't know. So So those three words can be really hard for leaders, right? It's a vulnerable moment. So how did your team react in moments when you said, I don't know, but we're going to find somebody who does? What was the response? It was actually refreshingly positive. Like everybody was kind of like, you know, you know, because our MO almost all last year since March was kind of a, this is what we know today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we'll do whatever we got to do with this knowledge to get through today. And, you know, it, it was a very positive, like, well, thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for kind of saying that because now that I know, you know, there, there could, there's kind of a built up trust when that came. Cause it was, it was kind of a, a you know, an honest moment of like, well, if, if he can be this honest or if all of our leaders can just say that, then it was like, okay, now we can effectively know how to add in or how to chime in or what, how to, how to kind of move from there. Um, I, I mean, I got a lot of notes of appreciation, but it was just a strange thing to, you know, cause so many times people were like, Oh, thanks so much for, um, yeah, for telling us what you don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, it's weird, <laughs> but you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, time for transparency and honesty. I, I think it's it's a huge lesson from 2020 for those who haven't completely gotten there. It helps employees so much. So these numbers uh, may have changed slightly since April of last year, but according to Columbus Business First, 36% of the architects in your 12 offices across the country are women, which is significantly higher than the 20% industry average. And 21% of your architects are African-American, which is also significantly higher than the national average of 2%. So how have you beaten industry averages? Like what have you done differently? I, I don't, I don't, well, it's, it's kind of evolved over the years and I, I really can't take much credit or any credit at all. Um, it it really does come down to um, a, a couple of things. Um, we gave chances to people who wouldn't normally have been given chances. Um, some of that out of obligation of, you know, to say, hey, you know, maybe we can't just go and, you know, compete to get who everybody else would go and get from like a, you know, someone coming out of school or, you know, you know, do the things the same way that everybody else did. We kind of had to be creative about how we looked at things. And then the other thing too was just there. There was just a certain sense of rapport or connection. Like when we used to, we still do church work. It's a lot easier to reflect and relate to a pastor if you're a, an attendee of church um, than if you have no idea and you kind of have to guess. So really, it's it's been kind of. I mean, it is. I mean, I hate to oversimplify it, but it's been kind of the if this is what our clients look like and this is how we can best serve them, these people best understand that's who we should hire to do the work. Um, and there have been moments where um, there's there's been some criticism of clients who they said, hey, I, I was hiring you with the expectation of, you know, you know, getting people who worked on our projects who understood our community. And it's and we're not seeing people who understand the community. And it's like a well, we need to reflect and say, hey, do we need to rethink our team or rethink, you know, who we're putting out there? Because it's, you know, it's becoming an issue. Um, so you in those moments have reflected and maybe made some changes in the the makeup of your team and who you were looking for based on some of that feedback. Yeah. And, and it's and frankly, it's starting to get to a point where it's 
you know, it, we, we feel fortunate to be in the position that we are in because it's now becoming a demand of clients. Like I've had to issue or I haven't respond to RFPs or proposals where, I mean, literally the language of the RFP was, um, hey, this is our expectation of the makeup of your team. How will you meet this expectation? And if you're not meeting it or if your team changes through the course of the project, how will you course correct? And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> well. Yeah. I'm going to be really thoughtful and intentional about our response. But in doing that, you have to have the right team in place to be able to give the right response. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to have another moment on just design, you know, in and of itself, because I just think, Jonathan, about how distracted we can <laughs> be um, from admiring the places we're surrounded by at any given moment. And that could be from our phones, our conversations. You and I both know we've been at a moment where we haven't gotten out a lot and maybe mm -hmm. are kind of enjoying our own four walls and not the four walls of somewhere else. Um, as an architect, what would you tell us is the value? And I, and I kind of laugh at this because I feel like we've found the value of slowing down a little bit given 2020. But as an architect, what would you tell us is the value of slowing down and taking a, a moment to acknowledge the space around you? I, I, well, I have a bias because um, my wife tells me all the time um, because it, we have to frequently avoid car accidents and other things because I'm swerving to say, hey, look at that building over there. or Hey, let's look at this. And she's like, I don't care about the building. I just want to get to where we're going. Um, which kind of goes back to like, I remember road trips young when I was young with our dad and kind of, why are we going off course or, cause it was, I'm going to go try and see a building. Um, I, I think one of the things that I think everybody has all has been become well aware of, especially, I mean, you, you have to say within the last year, um, and, and I think more recently, uh, everybody can, well, at least every well, you could still say the world has had to reflect on um, the the fact that, you know, the statement is it's not just a building, right? And that the buildings um, represent so much more. Um, and you, I've had some personal moments, like literally within the last two or three weeks where it's like, what does it mean that someone's destroyed or attacked a building, right? Oh. And it's kind of like, a well... And, and I think the reason it, it always hits people, you know, or it's hit us all more recently is because everybody knows it's not just a building, right? It's not, it, it's a symbol. It's something more than that. Um, and for us, like even last year, um, during some of the, you know, call it what social unrest or to, to see our work destroyed, right? I think that's where everybody had that moment of, you know, hey, I never even looked at these buildings. But then when you saw that, like, what does it mean that people are lashing out against the physical background or the physical environment? And when you see the environment kind of, kind of in shambles, it's kind of like, it all resonates with us that like, yeah, it's definitely not just a building or like even me, the, the, the thing of, it's been this constant reacquaintance with it. Um, like, you know, like it's been years, but you know, I, I I knew how important it was to say the third ward Houston community to work on Jack Yates High School, and you know how we had to get it right, and we you know had to meet with the community, and you know budget was tight, and all these things. But it means the world to that community. But then when you see a vigil, um, 
for George Floyd. And you're like, wait, why are they? Well, because George Floyd was from third ward of Houston. And so when they do the vigil to remember his life and you see, you know, the work that you did in the background, it's kind of like a, yeah, we see it all the time, but I think we're all reflecting on the, like, what are, what are the things around us really mean? Like in terms of symbols and, and, and for what I do, it's like, how can you not, you know, take it more serious to say, Hey, it's, it's not just siding or it's not just a window or it's not just, you know, a thing it's, it represents something more. And I think we're, we're all seeing it because, you know, frankly, a lot of us took it for granted in this last, you know, until recently. Obviously so many of us followed that story, Jonathan, the backdrop in Houston of your building, which was the school, right? It's the school that you're mm-hmm. talking about. What yeah. was that backdrop at that particular vigil? What were they kind of up against that your building was part of that story in the backdrop? Again, they, I mean, so they were in the foreground, you could see faces and people and emotion, but in the background, you could just see classrooms. And I could, I remember like seeing windows where we were debating with the contractor, like what could we afford in terms of the percentage of opening? And it was the South side of the building. So we had to have sunshades and other things, but it's like there in the background, all those things were like, that's what people were seeing was, you know, just classroom space. Um, but in the foreground was, you know, life, um, and life was happening. As an architect, what did you think of what happened at the Capitol to the building itself and the symbolism that, as you were alluding to it, represented to us? Yeah, well, that's, that's the irony is I was a little bit, um, numb. I mean, that's just kind of the, I I was numb to what was going on. And I was, I, I, I remember, I'd get like a text update or I'd see a tweet or I'd see an alert that of like, Oh, now this is happening. And no, that's happening. And and I was just kind of shocked and numb, frankly. And then I I hit a moment where I'm like, I wanted to tune out um, and I wanted to just not engage. And it was ironically during a TV sports radio show that, you know, because I mean, it's hard to, to, to talk about that and not get political, which, you know, no, is not necessarily appropriate, you know, to, to, to get political. But when they were talking about it and that's, they gave me that quote, cause they said, you know, we're no, we're supposed to talk about sports and all this stuff and we're not supposed to drift into politics, but they said, it's pretty obvious. It's not just a building. And that's, that was the, like, you got sports radio people saying, yes, this is not just a building that it's, it's a symbol um, for democracy for for freedom for liberty for all those qualities and values that we you know hold so highly and also that you you if you are attacking that building that's the symbol that you are attacking all those values and that's kind of the i've got to come to terms with that um that's that's real meaning and purpose of that building and of so many other buildings throughout Mm -hmm. the country um you're very passionate about community service. I, I know you give back a lot. What does giving back mean to you? Uh, it, see, for me, I, I've always felt that there, you know, I had my father, but I've had so many, you know, um, people and mentors who kind of just like, I, I guess, want to see me do well. And they have done so many things to help pave the way that like, I, I can't ever I can't ever pay that back. But so you always think of the phrase of, of paying it forward. Um, and also just kind of leveraging the platform that I have to say, 
yes, I'm fortunate to be where I am, but it's like that, that fortune is an opportunity to elevate or do something for someone else. So I'm always questioning or wondering like, you know, yes, this is great for me, but how, how can I help inspire or help contribute to make the way a little bit easier for somebody else? Because it was, it was, it, it helped me so much to be able to get to where I am. Um, so one of the reasons we have conversations like the one we're having today here on CBuzz is because we really believe that continued and personal and professional growth is is one of the most valuable things um, as a leader in business that a leader can share um, in part to others, right? So we would love to hear what's been influencing you lately, whether it be a podcast, a book, a show, or involvement of some kind in a virtual group. What's really been speaking to you? What have you really been intentionally engaged with um, in any of those kind of areas or elements? Oh, oh well, so <laughs> I, I don't know. There's been a few books. I, I mean, I'm always a, a, a treadmill and podcaster. Um, and I think Hidden Brain is always one of my favorite podcasts to listen to while I'm on the treadmill. Um, and I, I did get the fortune last night. Um, I, I got to, it, it was always a strange thing because I always hear Kwame Alexander. He's a children's author, or like when he comes on NPR and talks about poetry. Um, and I immediately, as soon as he does that, I go and buy all the books for the kids. But to talk with him last night or to get see him talk um, and answer questions about the children's books um, um, it, it's been really interesting to engage because at the, at the, I'll say my kids are five and eight at their level, the book, the undefeated was great. Um, and I, I apologize because I'm a little bit all over the place, but then he, he even recommended something, um, a book called stamped, um, that, um, um, I actually got to join, um, Columbus Metropolitan Library, um, you know, one book, one community conversation about that book. So I, I've been kind of all engaged in that conversation um, and even having to do a lot of reflection because I, I really appreciate how those things kind of break it down, you know, kind of to a, the level of a child in terms of understanding and outcome and like say, hey, I have to reflect on what that means for me. I mean, I know that's kind of all over, but if you haven't got it, I'm a little bit all over type person. So. But there's a string back to purpose and meaning and some of the really important conversations that we've been having in the last year. So no, I get it. And it, to me, it's not all over the place. And to our listeners, I'm sure it won't be either. Because again, it's those nuggets of information and inspiration that we get. And so it's it's really interesting to know that that's where you are. So the undefeated and stamped. So that you would you would highly suggest those. Yes, I can't sign off on um, Malcolm Gladwell's Outlier because I'm only like maybe forty percent through it. So it's a good I, I one. I can tell you that it's 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 yeah. a good one. I would endorse it if you were like halfway there to endorse it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. So. Well, Jonathan, um, again, great to talk with you. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope people got something out of it. So. I'm sure they did. I took a lot away myself. So, so thank you so much. And for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Moody Nolan, visit moodynolan.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening. Your reviews help people find our show and hear our community stories. We read your feedback and we value your ideas as we plan future episodes. Because it's proudly produced in collaboration with Capital University. We want to say a special thank you to their talented students, faculty, and staff for helping bring this program to life for you, our listeners. Once again, I'm Michaela Hunt, your host for CBuzz, the Columbus Chamber of Commerce's business-focused podcast. 
and we will catch you next time.